0: How many many here have ever been to Asia or been to those markets in Asia, night markets? Anybody? Yes? No? Okay, when you go to these markets, and it's the same all through the Pacific, there's these little stalls, and everybody's selling exactly the same thing. They're all selling these uh, genuine Rolex fake watches and genuine jeans, you know, Levi jeans, but they (coughs) spell them L E V Y or something (coughs) like that. And their sales pitch is always the same. They say, same, same, but different. (laughs) Have you heard that? Same, same, but different. Yeah, it's the same, it's genuine, it's genuine Rolex, but it's different, it's from a different factory in China. And um, there's also a movie came out a number of years ago, a movie called Twins, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Does anybody remember that? Anybody seen that movie? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito. And the storyline was that you had these two guys who were um, born twins, separated (laughs) at birth. You know, the same parents and that sort of stuff, but they looked, uh, but they were totally different. And um, I mention that because uh, that's what it's uh, like with Pastor Rod and I. We're same, same, but different. We're twins. We have a lot of things in common. We're the same age. Um, we both got two daughters. Uh, we've both um, pursued careers eventually in um, academia. We even like the same foods. Um, we don't have the same taste in music. When we started in the first song, I thought, oh yeah, this is Rod's church, that sounds a little bit country. And, uh, yeah, but we moved on, so it was good. <coughs> uh, that's, that's my preference. But uh, in a lot of ways, we are the same. And, um, but where we are different is we have uh, some different preferences in life. Rod mentioned my involvement with the Brisbane Broncos. I, I love rugby league. I'll, I'll sit and watch rugby league all day, every day. Uh, last night, I took my wife to the Broncos Leeds Club for dinner for a night out, um, because we don't have Foxtel, and so I needed to watch the game at Newcastle. And, uh, but with Rod, um, talk to Rod about um, the football, or any sport for that matter, and you soon realise that Rod is an economist, and, and he uh, actually has no appreciation <laughs> For the deleterious effect that occurs when Queensland loses state of origin game, three quarters of our state goes into mourning. And of course, the other quarter are the um, um, uh, unnaturalised cockroaches who've snuck over the border, of which Rod is one. But we're same, same, but we are different. But there's one area where we are the same, and that's in our desire for God. That's in our desire for um, um, being all that God can make us to be. And you know, I've known, you know, Rod and I have known each other for nearly ten years now, so more than that. And you know, one thing I've found is is, you know, he has a heart after God. I have a heart after God. So effectively we have the same, we're like those twins, we're like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. We come from the same father, our father in heaven, Yahweh, his name is Jesus, the everlasting father. And actually, we've got a family photo I'd just like to show you. There you go. Can you see the similarity? (laughs) Yeah, for those who are on the podcast, um, you can't see this picture, but it's a lovely family photo of Rod and I. But yeah, we're we're same, same, but different. We have the same father in heaven. But another thing that we have in common, as well as you know, our pursuit of God, it's too, um, too easy for all of us to fall into the trap of rather than pursuing God, is pursuing the <coughs> things of God or pursuing the ways of God. And we think we're doing the right thing. But I mentioned earlier in those um, Benny Hinn meetings where people would be healed during the worship. Why? Because they were focused on God. They weren't focused on the man of God. They weren't focused on the other things of God. They were focused on God himself because that's where everything comes from. And um, now it's not wrong to want the things of God because the things of God are actually quite good. They're just, they're it. Yeah. The things of God are actually quite good. And the ways of God are always good. God is good. But there is a difference. Between those and what it means to pursue God. Because what we're often chasing are the outcomes. Whereas really what we should be um, uh, looking for is the object of our pursuit, which is God Himself. Now, it says in Scripture that, um, you yeah, well, uh, know, let me explain it this way why do we pursue God? And the answer is quite simple because He tells us to. He tells us to do it, and if we go to Matthew, this is um, one of my favourite passages of Scripture. Most of you would know it off by heart. If you could all read that, it says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So, what's he saying? Well, firstly, he's saying that we're of more value than the grass, we're of more value than actual creation, and he wants to care for us. And he's saying that the Gentiles, and this refers to Gentiles being those who don't know God, they pursue these things in life. Now, they're good things. They're pursuing a job, pursuing a house, pursuing food, pursuing, you know. Just the necessities of life. So they're not bad things. But he says that our Father in heaven, God knows that we need these things anyway. And he's going to provide them for us. So then when we move on to... I'm just going to sit myself up here with this. There we go. There. So the next verse says... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Or as it says in the Message Bible, um, it's a bit hard to read there, but I'll read it out for you. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax To not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, oh, I can't even read that. He says, don't know these things. Passed over these things, but you know both God and how he works. What does that say? Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So what's he saying there? And um, Paul, Paul, who's the author of this um, passage, is, is telling us to desire or pursue God himself. Seek first his kingdom. And then all those other things will come to you. And, um, but to do that takes faith. To seek God and to trust that all these things are going to come it takes faith. But that, what, is, what is faith? Faith is believing that God is who he is. And that God will do what he says he will do. And that's what our faith is. And uh, um, I don't know if, when I was here last time, well some of you weren't here anyways, but there, there's a guy I've been mentoring for about six months. He's in his thirties, he's a professional. Um, been a Christian for just under two years. And he's always got this new scheme of how he's going to do great things for God. All he needs is like $11 million and he can set up this great ministry in Vietnam to do dentistry or something. All he needs is a couple of million dollars he can go do this. And he wants to do all these great things for God. But my counsel for him from day one is the same as it is now, six months later. He hasn't quite got hold of it yet. Is stop pursuing what you can do for God. Stop pursuing the things of God, and pursue God. Because as we do that, all those other things will come. God knows who we are. God knows what we need, and He made us. And um, this guy, he's you know, says in Psalm thirty-seven four, says, "Delight yourself in the Lord; He will give you the desires of your heart." Amen. And so, as we focus on God, as we pursue Him. All these things he'll place them on our heart. He'll give us our will, our desires, and he'll also bring them to pass. How many um, people do you know who Christians, believers, who their number one question is always, "Well, I want, I want to know what the will of God is for my life. I want to know what God wants me to do." And I think half the time God's just sitting back saying, "Well, what do you want to do?" And if we delight ourselves in Him, we will know His will. He will give it to us. uh, let me give you a recent example of how that can outwork. As Rod mentioned, um, we worked together at um, Christian Heritage College for you know, quite a number of years and uh, Monday week I'll actually start work back working with Rod. Um, you know, a couple of months ago he invited me to uh, come on board down there at Leaders Institute. Um, the main reason being is he needs someone who makes him look good. So, uh, asked me to to come. I I had no reason to leave where i had been working for the last 17 years. I quite enjoyed it actually in a Christian college. I think I do a reasonable job. Um, Ronan might argue about that, but um, I think I do okay. But I wasn't looking to go anywhere. I had no need, no reason to change jobs. And so... Um, you know, Rod gave me an invitation to come and join him at Leaders and I'm there doing the good Christian thing. I, I said, well, okay, I'll pray about it. So I'm praying and praying and praying. And I'm saying, God, do I, go, do I take this job, yes or no? And all I got was yo. And I said, oh, that doesn't tell me anything. And so what I did was, it was uh, Easter Monday, public holiday. Um, everybody's off on holidays. Even my wife was away. She was up in Darwin on a holiday. I'm at home by myself. And I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll go down to Leaders Institute down at Wollongabba where they are, and I'll just wander in and pray and sense what I feel, think, oh, OK, God, is this where I'm supposed to be or not? And so I got on my motorbike and went down to Leaders. And on the way there, I had this random thought that, well, OK, if Rod's there when I'm, when I'm there, I'll know that I'm to be there with him, and I thought, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I get down to the Leaders Institute, public holiday, no traffic on the road, and there's nobody there. So I spent about 20 minutes wandering around, praying, Lord, is this where I'm supposed to be, and all that, and you know, come on, God, tell me, show me, give me a sign. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And um, I thought, oh well, I don't, I still don't know. I'm still getting young. And as I was about to leave, I just had a thought to just go check the front door, just go have a look inside the front door. So I'd wander over, lean against the front door, have a look, and it starts to open because it hadn't been locked properly, right? Rod hasn't trained his staff very well. (laughs) And, And I thought, well, I don't want to open it, I don't want to set off the alarms or anything like that. So I wandered back to my motorbike and I'm sitting on my bike and I'm just sending a text to Rod saying, hey, I think you need to get someone to come and lock your building because it hasn't been closed up yet. And just as I'm doing that, who should drive into the car park but Rod and Jeanette? Now, I'd had that thought on the way there, if he's there when I'm there, I'll know that I'm supposed to be here with him. Now, I mean, what is the probability of Rod and Jeanette turning up there on a public holiday all the way from Ulmo to woolongabba at the exact time that I happen to be there and if I hadn't gone and checked the front door, I wouldn't be there now. Some people would call that uh, what we call a fleece. don't know if you've come across that term of putting out a fleece. It's um, based on a passage in Scripture where this guy Gideon was trying to decide, is this what God wants me to do or not? So he put a sheepskin fleece out overnight and said, well, God, if this is what I'm supposed to do, then all the ground will be wet and the fleece will be dry. And he gets up in the next morning and sure enough, Fleece is dry, but that wasn't good enough for Gideon. and he said, "Well, I know. To, tomorrow night we'll do the opposite. Where God, I'll put it out, and the fleece will be wet, and everything else will be dry, or something." And sure enough, it was. So he just said, "Well, okay, God, this is what you want to do." And um, I've known a few um, Christian, well, even myself in the past, when I've done that, I've put out a fleece when I was a fairly new Christian. I'd been in the Lord just a couple of years. I'd just done um, Bridal College, a Bible college. And, and I'm there thinking, Where am I, what am I going to do with life now? What's next for me, Lord? And am um, you know, I called to full-time ministry. And we had this lady visiting a church. She was an African-American lady. And uh, I was in church just up the road here at Bean Lee And um, then I thought, OK, if I'm to um, pursue a career in what we call ministry, Lord, get this lady to say my name twice. Now I'd never met this woman before in my life, she'd never met me. And I'm sitting in the front, and uh, this lady's up there, she's preaching. And then straight away, she just comes straight down off the platform, and she goes, so what's your name? And I said, Dwayne. She said, oh, Dwayne. And I thought, oh, she just said my name twice. And so I thought, thank you, Lord. But then what she did was she took me up on the platform and said, I need a volunteer to dance with me. And so I had to get up there and dance in front of 600 people. And trust me, I'm not a good dancer. And so after that experience, I stopped putting out fleece. I thought, I'm not going to take that risk again. And, but it did confirm to me that um, you know, God will lead us and guide us. And as it says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. That thought I had as I was on my way to a Leaders Institute well, it's just because I delight myself in the Lord. And so he places that thought in our spirit. When the Bible speaks about the heart of a believer, it's actually talking about your spirit. It's not talking about the organ that's pumping blood. So, you know, I have no question, no doubt that, you know, my, my desire is God's will. My will is his will. His will is my will. And so whether or not he was... Um, I didn't need any neon lights to tell me that, to, you know, accept this offer with the right even though he did confirm it for me. And even if I didn't want to, um, you know, the probability of Rod turning up at, at that time, on that day, was astronomical. And so I just take that, well Lord, you know, I've got no doubt that you're leading and guiding me in a certain way. And I've since had, he's given me a couple of very clear scriptures to confirm that, you know, that it is the right choice for me to make. And it's line upon line, precept upon precept. But um, we've got to be careful taking uh, fleeces as a principle of trying to find God's will. It says in Ezekiel 14.4 that God will actually answer your prayers according to your idols so that they become a stumbling block and an offence to you. So um, yeah, be careful if you have idols in your heart. You know, An example where that might be is, OK, Lord, if you really want me to have this um, 350 GT Mustang, then the finance company will approve my loan, you know, <laughs> even though we all know that I can't afford it. And uh, I mean, I, I have a friend who um, invested $750,000 in a house on a block of land that was way overcapitalized. And you know how they say in real estate that you, you should seek the worst house in a good street? Well, he wanted to have the best house in a bad street, and, um, and, which is often the episode of Kath and Kim. And he built this massive big house, which he couldn't afford. And when I said, why are you doing it? And he said, well, you know, we kept asking the Lord. We said, Lord, if you don't want us to have this house, then shut the door. And he didn't. And so he just built the house. But God doesn't shut doors, God opens doors. Mm-hmm. The last door that God shut was um, Noah's Ark. And then he opened it up again after the flood. And so um, we, we need to be really careful. But if we are delighting ourselves in him, if we're just pursuing God, our thoughts will be His thoughts, our will will be His will. And uh gee, I've got way ahead of my notes. That's excellent. Now, in, in Scripture, we've got a lot, we've got a lot of examples, a lot of examples of people who pursued God, a lot of people who pursued the things of god now can i make this thing work there we go it doesn't light my fingers I don't know if you can see this these are examples of ones who pursued only the things of god and these are just some of many um, one of them king saul I don't know if you're familiar with who king saul was he was the first king of israel and the people of israel who had god as their god said, hey, we want to be like everybody else, we want a king. And so God said, yeah, no worries, I'll give you a king. And guess what? He's going to tax you and he's going to put you under all sorts of tribute, and, which is what he did. But Saul thought he was pursuing God. And there's an incidence in um, 1 Samuel 13 where uh, the prophet Samuel, had said to Saul, well, okay, wait till I get there, they're going off to battle. Wait till I get there and then I'll sacrifice, fulfil what was the, um, the given ritual under the Lord of Moses as to who could do what and who couldn't. And when I get there, we'll sacrifice to God. But anyway, Samuel was a little bit late. The traffic was bad or something. He got held up and Saul just got impatient and couldn't wait. And he thought, well, Samuel's not coming, so I'm going to sacrifice to God because I'm going to show how holy I am and everything. And so he did what he was not authorised or supposed to do. And you might think, well, that's not much. All he did was just um, burn some sheep and some goats and some things. But he lost his kingdom because he was pursuing the things of God and not God himself and not doing things the way that he knew that it should be um, with the right attitude, he ended up losing the throne of all of Israel. And then um, we see, when we get to the New Testament, we see a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, we don't know how old they were. This were a couple who joined the church because that was the big fad of the day, become a Christian, join this church. And everybody was selling their possessions and bringing it to the church So they sold a block of land, came in and said, hey, we sold this land and aren't we good? Look how much money we've got, we sold it for and we're going to give this to the word of the Lord. But they held some back. Now, why did they hold it back? We don't know. Probably because they really didn't trust God. They weren't really sure whether this thing's going to work or not. What if it doesn't work out? We're going to need this money. And, um, but, you know, the Holy Spirit knew what the truth was, and we're told that Ananias died on the spot. Now, it doesn't tell us why he died or how he died. Um, I doubt that God killed him. I think more likely he probably had a heart attack from the shock that when the truth was revealed and he was exposed. And then we find later that his wife also died when she came in and saw that her husband was dead. And so it doesn't say that God killed them, just says they died. But what were they pursuing? They were pursuing the things of God. They they thought, well, let's pursue this new fad, this new trend, this Christianity, see what happens. Let's do what everybody else is doing and give to the work of God. But they weren't actually pursuing God. And then we had um, Simon the sorcerer. He was a guy who was a fairly successful um, magician, was making good money around the place. And he saw the apostles going around, laying hands on people, imparting the, um, the Holy Spirit to them people being healed, people's lives being changed. And he said, hey, this is a pretty good gig. I could make some money out of this. So he offered them money to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, Peter said to him, he said, well, hey, that's not how you receive the things of God. That's not how God works. And you need to repent. And the indications are that Simon, the sorcerer, did repent. And so he didn't get struck dead. But then there was um, another group of guys, seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was the chief priest in the uh, Jewish synagogue at the time. And these sons, they'd seen the, mir- the works that the apostles were doing, sort of miracles. They said, hey, we- aren't we the sons of the priest? Aren't we more holy than all these ones? How about we go and do these things and we'll cast out devils and we'll heal people and we'll become well-known and we'll do it ourselves. And what happened was they went to cast out this demon for it that was um, manifesting in this guy, but the demon overpowered them. You may know the scripture where it says, "Jesus, I know; Paul, I know, but who are you?" And so this de- one demon or this one guy overpowered these seven sons of Sceva because they were pursuing the things of God, but they didn't know God, and. Um, then, if we go through and read scripture, we see the the epistles written to the churches in Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians, and the church in Corinth, and the church in Galatia. Paul wrote to those churches to um, admonish them because they weren't pursuing God; they were pursuing things of God. And you know there was a lot of error that was happening in those churches because, all well, they're trying to um, almost um, manufacture the power of God, rather than letting God be God. And if in the Book of Revelation there's seven uh, letters, you know, it's written to seven churches there, and each one of them, where it says that hey, you know, um, I know your good works, I know you've done some good things, but hey, you've got off track, and you're pursuing the wrong things. You've you've lost, as it says in the one to the Church at Ephesus, you've lost your first love. And our first love is God himself, pursuing God. So they're the negatives. But then again, there's some positive examples. There are some who did pursue God. Um, In Genesis, we read about Enoch and Noah. And it says that Enoch and Noah walked with God. Now, Enoch never died. It says he walked with God and then he just went to be with him. He was just taken up to be with him. And Noah, we know the story with Noah. Noah was the only righteous man in his whole generation where there was immorality and God judged the earth and he had to deal with the sin by wiping out the people. That's another message. But it was Noah and his family were the only ones who survived from that because he walked with God. And then we see King David. David, it says, that he had a heart after God when Saul disobeyed. God bless you and your family. When Saul... um, disobeyed and did the sacrifice. And, and Samuel uh, prophesied, he says, well, God's taken the throne off you. He has found one who has a heart after his own heart, which means someone who desires God. Now, the, and it's funny, when you think of David, it says David had a heart after God's own heart. But well, I don't know if you know the story, but David was an adulterer, David was a murderer, and does that mean that God's an adulterer or God's an, a murderer? What it means, and we read how David wrote in the Psalms, is that he desired God. For the sins that David committed, he should have actually been stoned to death under the law of Moses, but he wasn't. Why? Because he was under grace. And he pursued God. And, that's, and so he became the king of Israel and one will sit on the throne forever. And we see Elisha in 2 Kings. There, were two, uh, there was a prophet, Elijah, and Elijah... Um, his time was coming, and so he went to Elisha and said, if you see me when I'm taken by God, then you'll have my anointing, you'll have my ministry, you'll take over as the prophet of Israel. And so they were at a place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was a good place. That's where when Israel crossed the Jordan River with um, Joshua, it was the first place where they set up camp. It was where they stopped getting the daily manna and started to live off the abundance in God's promised land. And um, so it was the first, city, first town they came to in Canaan. And so that was a good place to stay. That's where they'd seen the presence of God. And Elijah said to Elisha, hey, you stay here, I've got to go on to Bethel. But Elisha said, no, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to continue. I'm going to see you when you, when you leave. And so they get to Bethel. Now, Bethel means the house of God. And it was at Bethel where Jacob had a vision of a ladder and he saw angels coming to him from heaven. And so the presence of God was there. It's where they end up building the temple. And so um, <coughs> Elijah said to Elisha, hey, why don't you stay here at Bethel? I've got to go on to Jericho. And of course, Elisha said, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going to keep coming with you. But Bethel was a good place to stay. The presence of God had been there and they got to um, Jericho because you know the story of Jericho where they marched around the city and the walls came down. That was their first military victory in the new promised land. So that was a good place. It was a significant place and Elijah said, hey stay here Elisha. Um, yeah, this is a good place. He said, no I'm going to pursue you and he did and he pursued him to the Jordan. He saw Elijah taken up in a whirlwind and he received them, his mantle and did twice the miracles that Elijah did. So Elisha knew to pursue God, not just the things, but he was pursuing God and the man of God. And then we see uh, Daniel and um, his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, um, we, used to, we used to call them uh, Yoshak, shack, and uh, bungalow. <laughs> and, but they were in an era when um, in captivity in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the um, king and he commanded them to bow down to his statue but daniel and his friends refused to uh, daniel's three friends were thrown in the fire but they said and Nebuchadnezzar the Bucanese said where's your god now and they said well our god will save us but even if he doesn't he's still our god they are pursuing god not the things of god and same so with daniel he was thrown into a lion's den for praying and god shut the mouths of the lions why because he was more concerned pursuing god than the things of God. And then um, we see the apostles who pursued God, not the things of God, and then Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane um, when he's praying. And he knew what his destiny was to go to the cross of Calvary to be um, crucified. But what did he say? He said, um, you know, if this cup could be taken from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. Because he was pursuing. And Jesus only ever did what he saw the Father do. I mean, you know, who of us would have not taken the easy way out? So they're ones who um, pursued God. And because of that, they received the things of God. But the question for you is, how can you pursue God? i can get this thing to work and we'll be right there. Here we go. Okay, here's some... A fairly simple formula to pursue God. And it's, it's easier than you think it is. Firstly, to know that he is God. Jesus says in Mark, he says, My sheep follow my voice. Let the sheep know their shepherd and follow his voice. And Hebrews 11.6 says that, um, For without faith it is impossible to please God. But those who come to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the first thing we need to do is we need to know God. And those, you know, it says in Daniel um, 13, uh, Daniel 32, it says, those who know their God will do great exploits. Mm. It's not do great exploits and you will know God. Mm. And so the first thing is to to know God. But the second thing is to walk in humility. And it says in uh, Proverbs and it says in James, in um, 1 Peter, it says, he gives, he, he, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Jesus said, you know, that the humble will be exalted. And, um, you know, um, one of my favourite passages is in uh, Numbers 12, verse 3 and says, Moses was the most humble man on all the earth. There was no man more humble than Moses. But Moses wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, so it's, isn't that, that's, that's pride and arrogance, isn't it? That's not humility. So what is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Well, firstly, what humility is not, Humility is not. Oh, I'm just a lowly sinner, worm. You know, I'm not worthy of anything. Yeah, you know, the most uh, the most common form of pride is low self-esteem, because it's a focus on self. So when God resists the proud, it's not just the arrogant. It's all those who don't realise how worthy they are. Remember, He says, "We're worth more than the grass and the and you know the flowers in the fields." We are the pinnacle of God's creation. So we need to acknowledge and recognise that. So humility is about recognising... Now, Moses could say he was the most humble man on all the earth. Why? Because he knew his dependence upon God. He knew that everything that he'd achieved was because of God. It's good. And so and Jesus says that, you know, for without God... You know, well, it's... um, Well, with, with man nothing is possible, but with God nothing is impossible. That's right. I think I'll paraphrase it correctly. But Moses' humility was realising his dependence upon God. But it's also realising what God has given you and who God has made you. Because you know, we, we often see a lot of false humility in church world when people, they'll, you know, they'll get up and share something or they'll sing or whatever, worship, and people say, oh, that was great. Oh, no, it wasn't me, it was all God. Well, guess what? God gave you those gifts in the first place. God created you and made you. And so acknowledge that. <laughs> acknowledge that you are who God's made you to be. But with him, nothing is impossible. So that's humility. So you need to know God. You need to walk in humility. Micah 6, eight says um, you know, he has revealed to us the, you know God's will for us is to um, love mercy, do justly and to walk humbly with our God. And but then we need to spend time in His Word. We need to read God's Word. You know, the Word of God is the Bible. And we all would agree the Bible is a book about God. Yep. But it's also a book about you. This is a love letter to you. This is what God has done for you. Mm-hmm. This is who God has made you to be. Yeah. And so it's not just about God, it's also about you. And so we need to spend time in His Word. It tells us in. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, that um, um, the all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for correction and doctrine and all those things, and it tells us in Hebrews, um, what is it, Hebrews 4.12, yeah, Hebrews 4.12, says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide even between the soul and the spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means Well, okay. If I'm spending time in the Word of God, I know God. I know what God's you know will and purpose and ways and attitude is. I'll be able to divide between what is my emotion and what is God's leading. So, an example, extreme example. um, You know, we see it all the time where people are being married and they think, "Oh, I didn't marry the right person." You know, really, this is who I should have married. And I've seen it in church world where people have um, you know, marriages have broken up. Well, the Word of God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. The Word of God says that you're in a covenant. And so your emotion might be saying, hey, this isn't the right person or whatever. Yeah. That's your soul. The Word of God will divide that soul because the Spirit says, no, um, husbands, love your wives, as Christ so loved the church. And, um, you yeah, there are other things where we may have desires. We may want that Um, 350 GT Mustang and think, yeah, this is what God wants me to have because I see them everywhere. Well, the Word of God will tell you, hang on, you've got to look after your family first. So if you're going to go into debt and not be able to feed your family and pay your rent so that you can have that car, well, guess what? The Word of God will divide between your soul and your spirit. And so you need to spend time in the Word. And pray and meditate on His Word. Um, Rod and I Spend a lot of time talking together about the Word of God. We don't agree necessarily sometimes on, all oh, what's this passage necessarily has to supply. But what we do agree on is that we're looking for the truth. When we come to the truth and when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. <coughs> and then also the last thing is to come to church. Why, why do we come to church? Because iron sharpens iron. Because we're commanded to come to the gathering of the saints. It's in church where we get, where we get fed. And it's in church, or well, it's in people, where we find God. Because yeah. Yeah, God dwells in people. Amen. And so um, you, know, you cannot be a Christian in isolation. Yeah. Why? Because we're made to do good works. And so that's why we come to church. So it's not a difficult thing to pursue God. And as we do that, we'll find that our will becomes his will. We delight ourselves in him. He gives us the desires of our heart. And, yeah, remember I said that question, people are asking, what is God's will? How will I know what God wants me to do in this situation? Well, guess what? If you're spending time in prayer, if you're spending time in God's word, then, if you're delighting yourself in pursuing God, you already have His will. You'll will know what His will. You don't need a neon sign. Your will becomes His will. So it's not a difficult thing to pursue. But don't pursue the things of God. Pursue God Himself. It's good. Amen? Amen. 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 Just before I wrap up, um, now I don't know you people. So, which is probably a good thing for you. But I don't know where you are with God. Um, Like I said, the first thing is you need to know God. So I don't know what your relationship is with him. I don't know whether you've ever given your life to Christ. I don't know whether you have and fallen away. But I don't want to go from here without giving you an opportunity to set things right with God today. So if we could just close our eyes. I just want to pray. I want to pray for three three groups of people. There may be ones here who've never committed their life to Christ. There may be ones here who have at some time and walked away and need to come back to Christ. Or there may be ones who just don't really know that they are born again, that they are saved, that they have an eternity. So if there's anyone here like that, um, probably the easiest thing is if you just put your hand up. Just let me know so I can pray with you. If there's anybody... I'll pray for you anyway. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you for these ones. Lord, that um, you see our hearts, you know where we're all at. And Lord, I thank you that you would increase within each of our hearts our desire for you. I thank you, Father, that you would increase in each of our hearts the knowledge of you. But Father, I thank you that as we do and as we pursue you, that Lord, you'll give us all these things. We don't need to worry. You tell us in Matthew 6, Lord, that, um, to not worry about what we're going to eat where live where, where we're going to work as we set our eyes upon you as we fix our face firmly Lord Jesus upon you you will bring these things to pass in our life and Lord I thank you for these ones today Father that you would um, just remind them of this word Holy Spirit that you'll bring to their remembrance the things that they've been um, told and that they've heard and that they've read and, Lord, that we will see you manifest in their lives mm-hmm. in a tangible way. Father, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you. <coughs> right. Yeah, go and give him a round of applause. Eh? Hallelujah.